Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. I'd like to introduce you to my guest today. Um, he's a colleague. He's been with the organisation for a couple of years, playing a sort of more of a background ro role than some of my other colleagues. And uh, he is uh, Alex Weiss, our social media marketer. Welcome, Alex. Hi, sorry. Thanks for having me. Alex, um, generally to work for the IRR, being a think tank that it is dedicated to classically liberal principles, you have to support classical liberalism. Um, we, we do make a few little exceptions, but generally that's the core. If you don't believe classical liberalism, you can't do the work. Now, as far as I recall, you sort of had your moment of clarity that you were a classical liberal at university in an environment of social rebellion and freeze must fall. When did, what made you decide that you were in fact a liberal? Yeah, certainly my experience at uh, UCT uh, during the tumultuous uh, Fismas Fall era, I was literally in, in first year when I actually walked past the statue that uh, Chumani Makoyere uh, threw feces on. I was on my way to dinner uh, at uh, the residence dining hall. And I think what ensued after that sort of was quite a, for lack of a better word, quite a rabid movement on campus. And uh, there were there were just things that didn't weren't making sense with the, the Fismus, the, well, at that stage it was Rosemus Fall, rather, uh, movement. And, you know, campus was shut down. And, you know, I, I, I think for me, the one moment um, that sort of sparked my sort of counter-rebellion um, to, to what was going on was sort of having my, my private residence door banged on by a, by a protest that wanted me to to join in their their fight. Meanwhile, uh, my classes were getting cancelled and my lectures were being stormed. So I think that was probably when I realised that uh, uh, ideas are quite important, uh, and you know that's that's where sort of freedoms start to require uh, protection. This has led you to essentially social social media marketing for an ideas place, a think tank. I mean, we, we peddle in free, the ideas of free market, uh, rule of law, freedom of speech. How do you sell that? I mean, we're not exactly talking a, a sort of exotic pair of tackies or a, a, the latest video or, or music item from the, the, the greatest, you know, immediate pop stars. How, how do you sell it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard. I mean, there's examples in, in the U.S. Um, that I think one can look to. And I, maybe some members of the audience would be familiar with Dennis Prager. So his project, such as PragerU, I think is a, probably a shining example. Uh, probably a little bit too conservative for my, for my likes. But um, I think there, there's sort of a, there, there's an approach to social media that you can you, you work with the platforms to to you know use multimedia, use short videos, use things that don't require a lot of brain power. I think the main thing is is creating messaging that is really easy to consume. But I, I think what what I think it's a blessing and a curse for classical liberalism generally is that it is a very common sense ideology. So you know telling people what they know is kind of Seem, can seem a bit redundant, but in in a way, in many ways, on social media, that's often what people are looking for is is to to just hear something that they that confirms their 
their sort of worldview or their, their, their points of view. So, I mean, a lot of the work that, particularly when I was quite uh, intimately involved in campaigns with the Institute of Race Relations, uh, you know, we're fighting things such as appropriation without compensation, the national health insurance, and prescribed assets, and those took on various forms. I mean, the EWC campaign we worked on kind of on and off, certainly it was always present for two years. I don't think that battle ever really goes away, but that that's taken the, through the form of, you know, we, we used to go and approach banks and we'd go shoot little videos outside banks asking them what their stance on, on expropriation without, without compensation was. You know, in the event that uh, land was expropriated you know what? What would the bank do? To would they support their their clients, or would you know how would that work out? You know, so some pressure campaigns and just publicizing that on social media. Some that also entailed things like letter, you know, sending letters and sharing those letters on social media. So kind of using the digital public sphere uh, to the best of our advantage. And then there were sometimes uh, some more sort of creative. Um, forms of media um, and those would for example with uh, the national health insurance we released a short advert of a of a light bulb uh, flickering uh, played to the tune of of a heartbeat monitor and we we try to draw parallels between load shedding and what you know if load shedding would uh, take away your your jobs would kill jobs you know load shedding uh, NHI rather would do the same to your healthcare, um, and so we'd have like a sort of the light would go out, and, and the heart rate monitor would would go flat. So yeah, a lot of different tactics, you know, visits to Parliament, recording those, and then now with uh, the the Institute of Race Relations sort of attempt to reach out to slightly younger audiences, uh, we try and identify issues that resonate more with the youth um, and use much shorter. Uh, techniques such as explainer videos, nothing really more than two minutes, you know, quote cards, that kind of stuff. Also, I guess it's a part of, I think what's nice about the quote cards is trying to get uh, sort of liberal, uh, not in the American sense, of course, um, but just generally getting young people exposed to, I suppose, role models um, and sort of building that community through all these different, different forms. But I, I guess just being present on social media and showing that there are places with like-minded thinkers who aren't afraid to push back is certainly something that I think is very important for some for, for fighting the battle of ideas uh, you know when the work that you do isn't filling potholes or, or selling freedom footwear or whatever the other attempts might be maybe we should maybe maybe we should uh, create a sort of classical liberal tacky uh, you know to that you can bound about in freedom and uh, and liberty, Alex. You are currently you've gone over to uh, to Germany. Um, currently looking uh, looking looking around, working for us. You've been speaking to some, or you had an opportunity to speak to some young professional uh, people in your in your field in in sort of social media field, marketing areas. Um, smart people, um, you know, the sort of people that, you know, you really want in a society to 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 help it grow and 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 sustain itself. And you said to me some interesting things about what it was like to explain to them in living in a first world organized uh, country that 
just flows, the, the transport systems are good, etc. And the bureaucracy, by and large, it seems to be very good. So trying to explain a country like South Africa, the sudden realization that it, it was almost like explaining something from another planet. Uh, would you give us some sort of background on that experience? Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was actually interviewing at a, I mean, I, I, I'm forced to look for uh, employment here because of the, the, the quality of, of the rand, unfortunately. But so I, I actually interviewed at quite a quite a big um, transport company here in, in Germany, and they've got 80% of the market share for bus transport, uh, commuter bus transport in Germany. And they were a small startup in 2013. So in nine years, they've they've really come to dominate the markets. Um, and the reason they do that is because, the reason they were allowed to rather, or able to, is because the, the German government relaxed the sort of monopoly that the state-run uh, sort of bus services had over the, the market. And so, you know, very much like a free, very much a free market success. They, you know, this company is technologically advanced. They offer a much cheaper service. So really your 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 sort of shining light story of what uh, free market capitalist sort of environment it allows. But anyway, so, so I was interviewing for, for a social media role there and they, I had to try and explain, you know, they asked me, what are some of the, the type of content that you've produced that's done really well, um, that you can remember? And the problem I faced was that I had to, I was maybe a little bit long-winded in my answers, but I had to give background to the idea of expropriation without compensation. And then I had to try and explain load shedding and I had to explain the national health insurance because uh, I just spoke about that ad with the, with the light bulb and the, and the heart rate monitor. Um, but I, I kept having to re-explain. I said, oh, yeah, so we've got this government that wants to um, nationalize healthcare, but we've all what they also want to do or what what's happened is that it's a state, we've got a state-run monopoly on electricity generation and since 2008, you know, we've had rolling blackouts and, you know, the same government wants to run our healthcare. And I think I lost them somewhere along the way, but it just, it just felt so absurd trying to explain these things. I think Germany's the, the biggest economy in Europe, um, fourth, one of, I think fourth biggest in, in the world, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, you know, trying to explain to them that our government want, wants absolute control and is incapable of seeing through any of its mandates but you know premising my answers by the fact that our government wants to take away property rights and it's just the most it's just the craziest ideas and i think being in that situation where you have to honestly reflect on these things and really explain it because of the i'm also talking to second language english speakers so your your language is way more refined. So I guess it's kind of like doing social media work in a way. It's like really bring it to the bare bones. And when you look at it in plain sight, um, you know, the government wants to take away property rights. They can't produce enough electricity. They won't open the market. And uh, they want to essentially destroy private healthcare. And, you know, Germany is a far economy is far superior to ours and then that i think that for me was just a realization of just how how derailed um south africa's policy environment and sort of yeah i guess it's sort of ambitions of being a prosperous country um has become and i think especially for me it was quite disheartening because 
I'm not in Germany because I loathe South Africa or I think it's, you know, it's going to the dogs. It's, it's got nothing to do with that. It's entirely a personal, personal reason to be here that is unrelated to the state of the country. So it was just really sad, especially as someone whose job entails trying to fight the against or push back against these, these bad ideas. Um, did did you get the sense after your sort of elaborate uh, attempts to explain the situation that they understood or appreciated it, or was it all just so foreign and so and so strange that they never really got their heads around it? I, I can't actually tell because I mean I did ask them for for feedback after the interview and they said some of my my answers were a bit long winded, um, which was just fair enough. But I think. I, I really just, I just couldn't tell. It, I think it's just so divorced from the reality that, that it just, I, I, well, I, I suspect they might have, but it's just that things work so well there, or here rather, that they probably can't really conceive of being in a situation because the thing is to, if they were in a situation where they had something like load shedding, it would, it you know, it, it cripples South Africa's economy and every time it happens, we hear, oh, X million, or I don't know, 50, 60 million rand is lost to the economy every time we have a stage of load shedding. And this kind of society, which is so interconnected and has, you know, superior rail networks and metro systems and uh, trams, it would actually just fall apart. So I think the idea of having policies that make it, that undermine it, I think is is completely completely waxed them. Obviously, they've got their own energy issues at the moment, but I think that's kind of a story for another day. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just so, it's, it's so chalk and cheese when it comes to the, the attitude. So I actually, I would love to know, uh, maybe I should ask them for feedback on that specifically. I mean, since in the couple of months you've been there, I, as far as I know, you haven't had to get into a car. Everything has either been Bicycle, public transport, or other public transport. What was what has that been like for you? Because in South Africa, you, if you if you can if you have a middle class lifestyle, you can't do anything but go by car. Mm. No, that's that's spot on. Yeah, most of my commuting's been on bicycle on a bicycle. You know, it's there's just I think the the difference here is that there just seems like there's there's respect. There's way more respect for for. Everyone for your fellow, sort of, if I can call it road users, pedestrians, there's obviously a much stronger pedestrian culture. And yeah, the, everything works. The bus system links with the trains and the schedules align. Um, you know, there's some maintenance here and there, but you know, what we would do for some maintenance in South Africa. I'd break um, it would shout it from, from the rooftops. Um, so yeah, I mean, it really just is so much easier to get around, uh, you know, granted Munich itself, where I am, is a flat city. So, you know, in a place like Johannesburg, it's maybe not so easy. But, I mean, you know, there are examples like the car train that shows you that these things are possible. And I think it's, it's, it's I think for me, what's actually just quite sad in comparison is just that everyone speaks of the potential that South Africa has. And you can see it, you can see what it could look like even if it were just in maintaining the roads to, to a larger degree in South Africa, um, maintaining, you know, I used to walk to school, if it, you know, just maintaining pavements, just make it easier. 
for people to live. I mean, here you said there seem to be prams and people there prams and old people walking around all over the show, and it's just not really a culture in in South Africa. Um, so it it really just is remarkable to see what a functioning, a really well functioning society looks like. Hi FM, one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Alex, I heard an anecdote about an American mining company that's been here for about 20-odd years. And it's finally decided to close down and move to, to, to other jurisdictions elsewhere in the world because South Africa has become such a difficult market to, biz, to do business in. There's, a, there's an element of disbelief in the sense that the, the, the governing party does not seem to understand the extent to which its policies, its reversion backwards to towards a towards a socialist society, is is the absolute opposite to what is needed to make the society grow and work. Because it doesn't attract, it doesn't attract investment. Do you get any have, in the short time you've been there? Have you had any sense of sort of German attitudes to South Africa, or do we just not just not feature at all? We are we are less than we think we are. Mm, I, I mean, I've had a few interactions with with Germans, and the, the main thing is people are, oh yeah, it's, are we actually going there on holiday, or we we thinking of going there, and we yeah we're going to Cape Town, and then a safari, and wow, and I've got obviously I've got friends who have been there, and they absolutely love it from a from a tourist perspective. Actually, got one who's just arrived back this morning. Uh, to rainy Europe from after doing a three-week trip since throughout uh, the southern Africa. So um, definitely from a tourist perspective, it's there. There is some recognition. But in the in a business sense, I maybe haven't interacted with the people with some sort of vested interest in the global economy. But I, I, had, I had a conversation with, a, I guess, a, a young member of the FDP, um, the, the majority uh coalition leader uh, in, in Germany and we got chatting about energy and you know I was trying to really understand their whole thing with nuclear and, and energy vendor and Angela Merkel's uh, decisions to, to, to uh, uh, get rid of the nuclear program and we got chatting and he's like oh yeah but South Africa has coal no and I said yeah yeah, yeah but uh, we don't have power stations to use the coal so ge- generally from a from a from a government from a sort of business perspective i haven't gauged much perspective on south africa but yeah it would definitely be interesting to see um what perceptions people have but certainly in the in the the minds of the germans that i've spoken with it's still very much a a tourism uh destination for sure but but isn't that in fact a a, a message at least one could build on and that is the fact is that tourism is it, it should be a huge growth area. I mean, the Germans are, are big travelers to South Africa. They're big travelers worldwide, and they bring euros with them. And in that respect, the the tourist industry has largely been battling against the strictures of of government regulation. I mean, surely the the tourist industry, at at the very least, has real potential for overseas mm. support. No, I mean the the, the potential is massive. Um, and I mean, I've I've worked in the, the hospitality, the sort of safari sector, and you know, there's really it, it is bottomless. And the, I think, relatively, South Africa is so cheap 
it's compared to, um, you know, just by virtue of the exchange rate, that there's so much potential. But I think what what is so frustrating is that the, there's obviously links between infrastructure and, and the, the yes. pace of an economy and the ability to attract not just investment, but also tourists. And, you know, if, I mean, I, I had a conversation with a colleague yesterday and we, we were citing how one community, in, I think it was in the West Rand of Joburg, was fixing their own potholes and it took them 12 hours to, to fix it and it was wonderful. And I was saying like, sorry guys, like I hate to make the pothole analogy, you know, we've always done this. And he was like, no, listen, I'm from the Eastern Cape. You know, I, I've spent many years in, in uh, Grahamstown in Makanda and the Nando's pulled out of Makanda because the road to to their their branch was just not feasible anymore. And, you know, I think especially now with all the rain that, that we've had in the eastern half of the country, a lot of road uh, infrastructure has taken a heavy beating. And, you know, that undermines the, the transport, the ability to, to get around and the ability of tra- tourism businesses to cater to a very to a market such as Germans, which have a lot of money and the ability to to travel. And the thing the thing is that South Africa is far, um, so it is you you know to attract a traveler to get to fly 10, 11 hours to get to the southern tip of Africa is you know it's a hardy traveler. So anything that we can do to make that as seamless as possible, um, and I guess that's when you start really getting into the nuts and bolts of how easy is it to get a visa? How easy is it to deal with home affairs? What's passport control like? Um, you know, things like I've flown quite quite a lot from Oratambo of late. And, you know, you need to make it more feasible for travelers. Where Where's the infrastructure at the airport for e-hailing? Where's, why are there so many lights that don't work? You know, we can never fault customer service really, uh, you know, when you come home from, or when you arrive in South Africa. And that's the thing. The people, the, the the people are not the problem. It's it's ultimately it's the ideas that that uh, and mismanagement that undermine the whole project, really. Well, that sort of takes us back to the beginning, and I think it's a good place to end. So thank you for, very much for joining us, Alex. Um, we'll I should like to speak to you in the future. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Good.